Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Well, we are on our second mark of what makes a healthy church. In my prayer, you heard me say that it's on your handout. Sound doctrine is the mark. And as I was preparing this lesson, I was, um, was going back to statements I've heard people make, uh, probably even some statements I've made myself, uh, discussions that I have had with people um, about healthy churches. And I think probably the term that I've used often is a good church. What makes a church a good church? Um, seems to me that I've heard people say that a church needs to have right doctrine. Now, I'm in full agreement with that. A, gr- a good church, a solid church, a healthy church, however what we want to say that, it needs to have right doctrine. But the way that's stated can give the wrong impression for what right doctrine is. Or it can mean something that I don't necessarily agree with or, or nor do I believe that it's biblical. Sometimes when people say it, they have right doctrine, I don't agree with what they're trying to communicate through that. Let me, give, let, me, let me give you an example. If I say to you, this church at 123 North Main Street in small town USA has right doctrine, you could take that a few different ways or I could mean a few different things when I say that. I could mean that what this church, what this church teaches from the pulpit or in the different avenues or ways that they teach in Sunday school, whatever, what they teach to their people aligns with Scripture. It's a church that has its foundation in God's Word. It loves the congregation and it loves visitors in such a way that that it's a welcoming church. They teach the gospel, they teach gospel truth, and they encourage their people to be light in this dark world. They equip their people with knowledge that they can then use that knowledge to be God's ambassadors throughout their community. They don't shy away from hard things like like speaking out against what our culture is pushing or what our culture is for. What it teaches sometimes is going to step on toes. But when it does that, it's not heavy-handed or it's not demanding or lording it over its people. Um, But you may not be comfortable all the time. Not because of how they're speaking to you. Like, we're not uncomfortable because they're being uncomfortable in the way they speak, but it's what is being said from God's word that can be uncomfortable. Their goal is always to help you look like Christ more and more. Now, it would follow then that this would be a good example of a good church that you would benefit from joining, and you should bring visitors with you because they're going to be challenged in their faith or they're going to hear the gospel and uh, they'll be exposed to it, and in both cases, encouraged to follow Christ. Now, 
you hear all that. And I say, now on the flip side, I could say to you, this church at 456 South Main Street in small town USA has right doctrine. Similar statement, but I mean something a bit different when I say that. Very similar churches, very similar statement, but the meaning could have changed a bit when I said right doctrine. I could mean that this church teaches from Scripture that its message is one that you're going to find biblical. You'll be edified there. You'll be challenged and encouraged. You'll hear the gospel there. But that statement of right doctrine is a little bit different. A better way to say what I mean by this church is that this church has the right doctrine. And as as if there is just one way a church should be, Like, if things aren't exactly the way that church is, then it doesn't have right doctrine. It could be described as a solid church, one that you'll notice some things about this church um, that are good, but some things may be a bit off. Like, at that church, you're at your small group, and you mention a pastor that has a little bit different views than the way your church has, And when you mention that, people kind of fidget in their seat a little bit. Or you talk about a book you're reading, um, and the uh, author is from a different denomination. And so they get a little bit colder with you when you talk about books you're reading there. Or you bring up an idea to go join an event with Church 123 North Main Street, and that gets shut down a little quicker than you expected. So it seems a little confusing because I said their basis seems to be the same. The way that they um, treat Scripture and the gospel um, seems to be the same. The core seems to be the same. Both churches have a correct view from Scripture about salvation, how one gets saved. Both churches recognize the triune God. They hold to the solas. Oh, they're not up there. But when they're up there, the solas. Right? There are a lot of similarities, but something isn't quite the same. And for sure, it's two different churches, so there's different people there. There's different leadership there. Right? Uh, they're they're um, distinct churches. Right? But it seems like their beliefs and core values line up. Now, I'm going to say this a few times throughout this class. I'm going to say it again. That there are no perfect churches. There is no perfect church here. I don't believe there's a church on this planet that does everything correct. And I don't believe that there aren't churches that need improvement. All churches need, there's room for improvement in all of them, right? But these two churches I mentioned also are not code for two churches I have in mind. I'm, I'm not trying to speak in code about First Baptist and Second Pres and their problems or whatever. I'm making all that up. Uh, these are made-up churches, uh, but the scenario is one I've seen played out in conversations among Christians over the years. The reason I, uh, this class and this mark is called Sound Doctrine is because of the issue that I'm, I'm describing here. I, I believe in the second church that I'm, I'm talking about, 456 South Main Street. When we say it has right doctrine, what is, what is being conveyed is that they have the one and only correct view of doctrine. Now, they may say and believe that they aren't perfect, but when right doctrine is mentioned, they're saying that there isn't room for interpretation or that, that when we look at these things, that, that we all have to have the exact same view. 
Now, I want to be real clear here. I want to be ex- explicitly clear here. There are certain doctrines that must be right, that we have to agree on to say this is right. Now, one, faith in Christ is the only way to be saved because only in faith, uh, only by faith in Christ that we can be counted righteous in God's sight. It's only by faith in Christ that we can be reconciled to God. It's only by faith in Christ we can receive eternal life. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. There are not many ways to God. There's only one way through Jesus Christ. Not everyone's going to heaven. So that would be a core belief we have to agree on. We'd say that's right doctrine. If there's something other than that, we could say, that's not good. That isn't a healthy church. That's not right. Those core beliefs must be right. But there are others that we can say, if you, if you think about like the core beliefs that we agree on, then there's some, sometimes to say the primary, secondary, tertiary. You look at like a, a bullseye, you got the center. Then as we go further out, there's room for some disagreement the further we get away from that core. An example, end times, okay? Uh, we can have people here at this church that believe in that core but have different views on what that end times is. We believe Christ is going to return and the world that we're in now is not going to be as it is now. It's going to be different. Um, and the timing and what that looks like, how that happens, there's a range of opinions on that. And we can have that, uh, those differences within the same church. Or living in America, we have the government that we have. And so there's all kinds of opinions on what kind of involvement we should have, how much, what that looks like, how we vote, all those different things. We can have disagreements on that and still be in the same church. Um, and, and still serve together. So what I'm saying is, what I believe in the first church I talked about, 123 North Main Street, I would say that they have sound doctrine. I don't believe that we want to use the word right in this context. We could say this is a sound church. They have sound principles. It's sound because they have sound doctrine. We want to talk in terms of sound when we're talking about good, healthy churches. We must be sound in our understanding of God and how he is with us. It's how we think of ourselves, how we think of God, how we think of Scripture, and how we live that out. The word sound is one of these words that is, um, it, it can seem old or maybe dated, I don't think we use that word the way it's used in Scripture too often um, in other contexts. You know, you used to say, like, this is a building with sound. Um, it looks sound. It has sound foundation or something like that. I don't think we use that as often in our vernacular like we used to. Paul uses this wording sound in his writings to Timothy and to Titus. A number of times he refers to sound doctrine, sound speech, sound teaching, sound in the faith. This word sound, it means reliable. So sound doctrine that, it's, doctrine that is sound is reliable. It is accurate. And it is Faithful. Sound here, when Paul is using it, when he's talking about teaching, doctrine, all of those things, sound doctrine, reliable, it's accurate, it's faithful. 
We can say all of that according to God's word. Now at its root, it's an image from the medical world, which means healthy. Mark Dever in uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church explains it this way. He says, biblical, biblical sound theology is theology that's faithful to the teaching of the entire world. <laughs> Let me start over. Biblical sound theology is theology that's faithful to the teaching of the entire Bible. It reliably and accurately inter interprets the parts in terms of the whole. Reliable, accurate, faithful. It's healthy. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. That's a pretty long list of terrible things. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've entrusted. After that long list of terrible things, sins, did you see what he told him there? He says sound doctrine is doctrine that conforms to the gospel. You know, we talked about, uh, I talked about, I think it was last week where I said, we oftentimes we think about the gospel just for salvation and we're done with it. But the gospel is for salvation and then for all of life. And so if we're talking about sound doctrine, it needs to be in accordance with and um, conforming to the gospel. Later on in the same letter, Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. And he goes on then to lay out all the errors of false doctrine and distinguishes this false doctrine from sound doctrine. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul exhorts Timothy that the teaching he heard from Paul, he should pattern his teaching after. Say he's saying, Paul is saying that he as an apostle, or he is an apostle, that Timothy needs to have sound teaching like he does. Sound doctrine provides a pattern that when followed promotes health, healthy faith and love. He then warns Timothy that people are not going to want to hear this sound doctrine. They're going to want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. He's preparing him for, you need to teach this sound doctrine and it's, at times it's going to be an uphill battle to do that. It's going to go against what people want. You know, today we're going to have a vote of affirmation for Bob Walther uh, today as an elder. We've brought him before you as an elder about three weeks ago, and we elders observed and evaluated his instruction, his teaching. We weighed the soundness of his teaching. And just like Paul said to Titus, where he gives instruction on appointing elders, we were looking at how he used God's word. What was his instruction? We see this in Titus 1.9. He 
He says, talking about elders, uh, men who are to be elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Or Titus 1.13 where it says, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The idea that sound doctrine gives us the ability to rebuke and that it will change the way people think about doctrine and the way they're living their lives. Finally, Paul tells Titus that he should teach what accords with sound doctrine or what falls or follows or flows out of sound doctrine. Now, as we're talking about sound doctrine, doctrine is, you know, what we think, act, believe, teach here at church and individually as well. You say, well, if everything is to be a sound doctrine and look at these different verses and how they, what they, uh, how they affect our relationships and, and moving forward, I, it, you could think that that should be mark one. That should be the first mark. Like, if we have sound doctrine, then all of the rest of church life would follow after that. But if we get down to the nuts and bolts of it, what we believe and teach throughout our church is really bound up in this doctrine idea. Our doctrine, what it is that we do, is, is bound in what we believe. You know, many times I've got um, my oldest son, and he is connected with a bunch of kids at, at school from different religions and, and different backgrounds, different, they think about things differently and they have all these discussions and debates. And so he will hear about a pastor or a church or something and he'll ask me, hey, what do you think about this guy? Most of the time it's people outside of our community in some other part of the country, you know, he'll ask me about it. And oftentimes he'll mention these people, I don't know who they are. I, I don't know what they, what they believe um, and so he'll say, oh, you know, he goes to such and such church, or he's the pastor of such and such church. So I haven't heard this guy preach, I haven't heard his sermon, but um, one of the things is I want to know what, does, what do they believe? You know, they, how, how, do I, how do I figure out what does this church believe? Because really my son's asking, is this somebody that we should be listening to or not? Is it somebody I should follow or not? And so, but one of the things I've, I, I know is if I'm going to try and figure out what this church believes... You look at their teaching. What is it that they're saying? How, what are they? Um, what does church life look like? Because it's going to permeate throughout the church body what they believe and what they teach. You know, um, I just lost my. Name. It, Eric Coher. Um, I don't know if many of you know him. You know, he was our associate pastor here for four or five years. He used to have this saying. Um, he would, he'd say like, hey, what does your church smell like? And he wasn't talking about the, the olfactory sense here. You know, he was saying that the church will smell like its leaders. And what he meant by that was what was thought, believed, and taught filters down throughout all of church life. So it's like this idea of the, the way that it, it smells, right? So he's, as the leaders and the teaching goes, so the church goes, right? So if the church is going this way in their education, in their communication, in their actions, um, 
and we're deciding what is healthy or of utmost importance, we're going to look and see what those things are. And we believe here that those things flow from the pulpit, from that expositional preaching that we talked about last week. The out front dividing and instruction from the word is what we could say, and I've said this, I didn't read this somewhere, and if I did, it's, it's, if it's wrong, you tell me it's me. That's good. It's the, the head of our doctrine. It's what is said and taught from up here is guiding the ship of the church. And we believe it all filters down from that. Because pastors and elders should teach sound doctrine. Doctrine that we said earlier is reliable, accurate, and faithful. That's their responsibility. And expositional preaching serves the church so long as that expositional preaching is biblical. That expositional preaching promotes health and encourages health as long as what it is being preached is true. What is being preached must be what the Bible says. But a healthy church has a congregation as well, a membership. And they have a responsibility. You have a responsibility too. And your responsibility is to hold the pastors and elders to sound doctrine. It's, that sound doctrine is not just or not only what's coming out of Bryce's mouth at 1045 on Sunday morning. That's not the only sound doctrine. We're just saying that's kind of the tip that starts the filtering down. Sound doctrine, or doctrine, is what's happening throughout the church. It's happening in the counseling room. It's happening in the Sunday school classes. It's happening in your small group, in classes that happen during the week. What is our reputation in the community? How do people and other churches view our church? When our church name is mentioned, what comes to mind in the folks' mind there. A big part of that, a big part of how we are known is our doctrine. Because if I'm completely honest with you, I want people to like me. I really do. I don't like it when I hear someone doesn't like me. But I want to be liked for the right reasons. And I want to be disliked for the right reasons. If I'm disliked or this church is disliked based on what we say on a subject, as long as we see it rooted in the truth of Scripture, then I can sleep easy on that. I may not like it. When we get to the heart of the matter, it comes to what we believe. It's what we think about. My mind is always going, and, and so is yours. Now, you may have a, a teenager, and you walk into the room, they're, they're sitting at the table, and they're staring out the window. You know, they're just sitting there staring. You ask them, hey, what are you thinking about? What are they going to say? Nothing. Nothing. Probably. But because we're always thinking, we're always thinking. It's happening all the time. And because it's happening all the time, we don't always recognize that's what we're doing, that we're thinking. It's happening. Being thinking beings is super important. Super important what we're thinking about. So when you're at church, do you ever consider what is being said when someone prays? Or do you ever question 
what is said in a, in a class. I can remember a number of years ago, we had a, a former pastor that was up front giving announcements. And, and uh, in those announcements, he was trying to, or his goal was to encourage us. And he was talking about some things that were happening. And he misspoke. He just used the wrong word. And he says that we are continually being justified. Now, what he meant to say is we're continually being sanctified. He had just, it was just a slip of the tongue, said the wrong word. But someone came up to him after that uh, Sunday morning service, and he, he questioned, hey, what do you mean that we're continually being justified? He didn't realize that he'd even said that, that he didn't realize he'd said that word. And he says, whoa, that's not what I meant. He says, you should have stood up and stopped me right there. Don't do that. We probably shouldn't do that. But what that person did in the congregation was the right thing. He's hearing what he said, listening to it and saying, that doesn't line up with sound doctrine. Something doesn't seem right. Come, tell me what you meant by that. Or, I think you're wrong here. Tell me. That was good. Because our thinking shapes our beliefs. When I wrote that down, I had to think about whether that was true or not. Do thoughts come from our beliefs or do beliefs come from our thoughts? The answer is yes. But one does come from the other. Really, it starts from our thoughts, which lead to our beliefs. The more we believe something, the more we think that way. But the more we think about that way, the more we believe that. You see how that, it's kind of that process that works there. We are thinking beings, and the most important thing about us is what we think and believe to be true about God. The truth about how we should live is not just about how we treat each other. That's what the, uh, you know, that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another, but that's true, how we treat and love one another, but the most important thing before that is what we think about God. It's what we know and believe about God that determines how we relate to Him and then, in turn, how we relate to one another. What we believe affects what we do. Our behavior is in direct correlation to what we think and believe. All right. There you go. Our behavior is in direct correlation to what we think and believe. When I was um, growing up, my family would go to Table Rock Lake in Missouri each summer for vacation. Shell Knob, Missouri. We'd spend a week out on the lake water skiing and, you know, family time, what you do on vacations. It was wonderful. On that lake, there was a bridge that crossed over the lake. And um, one time in high school, my cousin and I, my cousin is just a week older than I am, so we're the same age. We decided we were going to jump out of the boat, we're going to swim to the bank, go up the bank, over to the bridge, jump off the bridge back into the lake. High schoolers, we look at it, we're considering the height, and our decision-making when it comes to the risk and reward ratio was, uh, oh, this is such low risk. We can do this. Like, this is great. So we decided we're going to do it. 
We make up our, we make our way, we jump out there, we're kind of racing each other to the bank, right? And we decided as we're walking up the bank to get up to this bridge, what we're going to do is we're going to, you had to climb over a railing to get on the edge. I said, we're going to climb over that edge, we're going to count to three, and we're going to jump together. And uh, he says, okay, this is great. So we get over there, I climb over the edge, I go one, and I look, my cousin's not there. Because he just climbed over the edge and jumped. Because he decided he couldn't wait that long to wait there. So now, I see him down, hits the water, and I'm watching, and I'm like, well, if he's already jumped, now I've got to wait for him to come up and see if he's okay. So if he's not okay, I'm not going to jump. And it, the, those seconds took forever, like, oh my goodness. And then I had to get myself uh, psyched up to jump, because now he didn't wait on me, so I've got to do it. Well, I did jump, and everything was okay. It's here. I didn't get hurt. It was dangerous. I won't do it again. Amen. <laughs> but let me, let me change the scenario a little bit. Let's, put, let's make it a little different. Let's say that bridge is over a very high ravine or a deep ravine. It's high up there. And at the bottom of this ravine is just rocks and dirt. And let's say my cousin and I are on that bridge looking over, looking down. And one of us believes we can fly, and the other one doesn't. Our next actions are going to be quite different from one another, aren't they? In the same way, when churches are wishy-washy in what they teach, where they pick and choose verses to mean something that they don't actually mean, when they use verses to justify poor actions or poor teaching, or like the churches that we read about in the news lately who are caving to the cultural pressures to defy Scripture, the way those churches live and interact with its people, with community, will be based on what they believe. If a church believes that you can live your truth, they will behave lead, and teach different than a church that believes that there are clear, well-defined moral standards found in Scripture. Those verses that we saw earlier in, in 1 Timothy 1, 9, and 10 has that, a list of all those kinds of sins, those terrible sins, you know, sins like hitting your parents, rebellion, murder, lying, the sexual sins, etc. You know, it concludes with Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. If you look at that, sound doctrine promotes righteousness. Teaching sound doctrine should promote righteousness. If we believe sound doctrine, if we believe it, then our actions will follow. Sin and unholiness will persist and increase where sound doctrine is opposed. The triune God is the ultimate source of doctrine. That's where our doctrine should come from. And if we have sound doctrine, then it is coming from the Lord. And God has chosen to communicate His doctrine through His Word. This side of glory, and until we see Him face to face in His eternal kingdom, God through the Holy Scriptures, is the source and the norm of sound doctrine. God chose to communicate to us through His written Word. He thought 
it best to put his written word in a book that we can read so we can read it, hide it, meditate on it, think on it, continue to refer back to it. Sound doctrine leads us back to his word and that makes us better readers or it should make us better readers. And I don't mean faster readers or more well-read, whatever. I mean that we get better at looking at Scripture through the lens of Scripture. We read it in context. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We use a correct, big word here, hermeneutic. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You know, in that we can see that those who are ignorant... And what he means by that are those that are untaught in sound doctrine. Those are the ones who are prone to twist Scripture to their own destruction. Now, if we're a healthy church that is teaching sound doctrine, then the gospel is going to permeate throughout that doctrine. It's going to be preached. The gospel should filter throughout our message. And if that's happening in a healthy church, we're going to have people in our congregation, our membership, who are sharing their faith. And Lord willing, we'll see people coming to a saving faith in Christ through their evangelism, God working in that. And if that happens, and we want to be a healthy church, which we do, that is discipling these new converts with sound doctrine, that's what we want. Well, what's going to happen is we're going to have a healthy church with ignorant people in it for a time. But a healthy church is striving to bring those people toward a maturity and a growing up that is laying aside those unsound beliefs. A sound doctrine will teach our people to stand against false teaching. It delivers us from this evil snare that threatens our spiritual development. We shouldn't be surprised if we are a healthy church with sound doctrine that people come to our church or people are a part of our church that may not have the sound doctrine that they should. That's an opportunity for us to come alongside them, to be gracious with them, and to show them that sound doctrine. Because we have sound doctrine doesn't mean that everything is perfect, everything works, that there aren't problems It's that we deal with those problems correctly. If you think about, we talk about a healthy church. If you think about a healthy body, having health, that doesn't mean that things don't happen where our body has to fight off viruses, diseases, bacteria, any of those things. It means that it's doing it well. And then it stays healthy. And we can do that same thing. With that sound doctrine, it it equips our people to recognize when there is unsound doctrine and to respond rightly to it. The sound doctrine needs to shine in the darkness. It's like a diamond with light on it, and it's just reflecting that. It should direct us to a growing faith and a love of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. It, it guides us to give God glory that he deserves. In God's goodness, God has given us his doctrine. It's a good gift of doctrine so that we can learn about him, about his gospel, and that we can please him. You're probably familiar with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that said, all scripture is breathed out or God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man, woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is the underpinning of sound doctrine. That's Paul writing in his second letter to Timothy. Now, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he was teaching him about this doctrine and telling him that this doctrine is for the church. You see, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he tells Timothy that I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, if he doesn't make it, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Sound doctrine is not just teaching for knowledge, but it is for our behavior, for how we act, talk, interact with people. Sound doctrine is for the church, and it is for each of us. A healthy church teaches sound doctrine that is in accordance with God's word. You ever heard the saying, we got home safe and sound? What do we mean? When we, when we mean first that we are safe, got home safe, safe that we're unharmed, we are secure, and then sound. It's that we're healthy, that we're in a good condition. We should aim to have healthy churches that are safe and sound. A place where people come, they're not harmed, but are safe, but sound, and that they are built up, they are healthy, and our, our um, doctrine directs and sets that out. 